Illusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back while we inject amazing and bizarre science directly into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe and on this end of year edition we'll feature ghosts from the Diffusion Christmas past. Patrick Ruby will tell us about mistletoe. Mark West will entertain us with some Christmas science facts. And Patrick Ruby will return to tell us why Santa is setting a bad role model. But first up Here's Mark West with some Christmas facts from 2008 about the joy of diffusion. I thought we might look at a few sciencey Christmassy facts. And the first topic we're going to look at are reindeers or Rangifer tarandus. Now reindeers are a large deer adapted for Arctic conditions and they live in huge herds. They're now greatly reduced in numbers thanks to hunting, although they're not threatened, and most herds are domesticated. Both males and females have antlers, and they can live up to about 13 years, although on average they live about four and a half years. They stand about 1 metre to 1.3 metres at the shoulder, and in summer have a shaggy brown coat, and in winter a grey coat. One interesting thing about them is their tendons in their feet make a clicking noise when they walk. They were once found throughout northern latitudes, but after extensive hunting, they're only now found in Alaska, Canada, Scandinavia, and Russia. In Scandinavia, I actually ate reindeer, and I swear to you, it's the nicest meat that I have ever had in my life. Their diet, as opposed to mine, is vegetarian and includes lichens and twigs. The size of their herds range between 10 and 1,000, although they can form large herds up to as many as 200,000. They have poor eyesight and locate food using their keen sense of smell. Some migrate to the Arctic plains for the summer. Reindeer mating occurs in October, when males fight to control small harems of 5 to 15 females. After a gestation of 227 to 229 days, a single calf is born, which is able to stand almost immediately and is a fast runner at one day old. Weaning begins at one month, but the youngster nurses occasionally until winter. Sexual maturity is reached at 29 to 41 days. The first artiodactyls, also called the even-toed ungulates, were present in the Eocene forests. The deer are probably descended from small animals like the chevrotons, which browse and eat fallen fruit in forests. Like the chevrotons, deer use fermentation in their gut to digest plant material more efficiently. This is called rumination. As the forests began to open up in the Oligocene, ancestors of deer grew larger and browsed on the vegetation or grazed on the new grass. They probably also formed herds for safety against predators. In the Miocene era, the first horned deer appeared, with the males having horns to fight rather than using their canine teeth. Although popularly believed, they do not have the ability to fly, and their noses do not glow red. In a good mood, your neighbour, her friends, and even her friends' friends should thank you. You're likely to be infecting them with your cheer. Happiness spreads through social networks about as easily as the flu, according to a new study. The researchers analysed data compiled from nearly 5,000 interconnected people over a 20-year period. 
After establishing a baseline mood for each participant, the team found that when one person became happier, it rippled through the network, increasing the likelihood that others would become happier too. Sadness, thankfully, is not nearly as infectious. An attack of the blues creates a much smaller ripple than a case of giddiness, said head researcher James Fowler of the University of California, San Diego. A happy infection lasts an average of 12 months, Fowler said. That is, if your neighbour wins the lotto, it could give you a mood boost for about a year. And a joy virus can spread to people three degrees removed from the original mood shifter. So someone experiencing bliss makes his friends happier, his friends' neighbours happier, and even his friends' neighbours' friends happier. The ripple of joy continues diffusing. Hmm, diffusing, over all of society, Fowler theorised. But it is undetectable past the third degree of separation because it is part of a whole sea of different cascades of happiness and unhappiness. The infectiousness of certain behaviours, such as overeating, smoking and innovating, began making headlines over a year ago. The study in the current online issue of the British Medical Journal is the first to show the contagiousness of an emotion. That was Mark West back in 2008. And next up, it's not Cy with Gangnam Style, it's NASA Johnson Style. NASA Johnson Style. Johnson Style. Welcome to NASA's Johnson Space Center. We are coming in hot, so don't burn up as we enter. We do science every day that affects your daily life. Throw them up for man's space flight. Science everywhere. As we engineer the marbles that fly through the air And take us way beyond Earth's level Science everywhere Because we engineer the marbles that fly through the air Flies us through the air Control the mission Out of Johnson This is ground This is space Tell me Houston What's the problem? It's okay Oh it's okay Because the flight controllers all at Johnson's NASA Johnson Style Johnson Style NASA Johnson Style Johnson Style NASA Johnson Style NASA Johnson Style It's amazing Orbiting Earth, International Space Station Where we work and live in space With a crew from several nations Got Japanese and Russians and that European charm Throw them up like the Canada arm Kicking out research 29k cubic feet revolves around the Earth Science microgravity revolves around the Earth Columbus jamming destiny Kicking out research, kicking out research Train the Astro, not to Johnson, to go to space, to go to space, cause the missions of tomorrow start today, they start today, as we engineer the future day by day. NASA Johnson Star, Johnson Star, F, 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 F. NASA 
Johnson style. Johnson style. F F F F the Johnson style. The Johnson Star. Hey, it's amazing. That's the Johnson Star. Flying more. SLS and PCV, we cannot feel the floor. Cause the lack of gravity, the destinations are. An asteroid Mars or the moon we are. Blasting off, stop the countdown soon. Six, five, four, three, two, one. Johnson Star. Hey, it's amazing. F, 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 If you watch the NASA Johnson Style video, you'll see actual astronauts participating in the dancing. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Diffusion at 2SCR.com. Brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network, into Sydney on 2SER, and over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Subscribe now. Post a comment on our Facebook page, Diffusion Science Radio, or send a message to me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. Next up, Patrick Ruby explores the science of mistletoe. Um, I've noticed you around. I find you very attractive. The mistletoe is an evolutionary anti-villain. It's a bad boy, with a few redeeming traits that keeps us guessing. Nasty, but necessary in the plant and animal world. Therapeutic, but also toxic in the human world. And yet for many of us, it makes Christmas one of the sexiest holidays. Mistletoe is a word used to describe hemiparasitic plants that grow on trees and shrubs. They can be grouped into five massive families that grow in both temperate and tropical climates throughout the world. They are hemiparasites because they usually obtain water and minerals from their host, but have their own evergreen leaves that carry out some photosynthesis. So they do make a bit of energy for themselves. Mistletoes reproduce by flowering and producing fruit with seeds. Birds and insects pollinate the flowers. The plant then produces fruit. Once a bird has eaten the fruit, the seeds are released and contain a sticky outer coating called viskin. This helps them to stick to the branches of nearby trees and initiate the new invasion of a new host. Once it invades the new host and starts feeding off it, starts to limit the host's growth and can actually kill its host in heavy infestations. Doesn't sound like a very nice plant so far, does it? Except for the birds and the bees, that is. So what are our bad boys' redeeming features? Some birds, such as the northern spotted owl and the marbled murrelet, nest in North American dwarf mistletoes. Scientific research published in the Science News in 2002 has shown that junipers that grow near mistletoes are more likely to have their fruit eaten by feeding birds. So it's a bit like hanging around a good-looking friend to improve your chances of picking up. And of course, mistletoes can be good for us too. 
The tradition of kissing under the mistletoe is thought to originate from Scandinavia. The mistletoe was considered a symbol of peace in ancient times. So if two enemies met each other under the mistletoe, they laid down their arms and agreed not to fight that day. The kissing part must have come later in history. Our current Christmassy mistletoes come in lots of shapes and sizes. The traditional Christmas decoration is the European mistletoe, Viscum album, from the Santalacia family. The North American mistletoe is Phorodendrum serotinum, also from the Santalacia family. In Australia, we have 85 species of wild mistletoe from both the Laurentiaceae and Santalacia families. The mistletoe was thought to be magical in Celtic times and was given to both animals and humans to treat various diseases. In the early 20th century, it was first noticed to have a positive effect on cancer patients. It is now used sometimes in Europe as an adjunct therapy to chemotherapy. Let's have a closer look at the medicine. I find you very attractive. Would you... Um... According to drugdigest.org, European mistletoe seems to be the best for use in medicine. In other words, it's the least toxic. Laboratory experiments have shown that it might help kill fast-growing cancer cells. In clinical studies, injections of mistletoe have been shown to slow the progression of breast cancers, stomach cancers, and colon cancers. However, the evidence is still quite weak. So far, it doesn't seem to be that good in fighting cancers on its own. But when used with chemotherapy, it might help reduce side effects and improve general health. How does it work? Well, our ambiguous friend hasn't revealed all its secrets just yet. We know chemotherapy destroys growing cells. Cancer cells are cells that are no longer under our control. They are anarchists, not bound by the rules other cells follow, and are free to grow and divide at their own pace as long as there are enough nutrients for them. By killing growing and dividing cells with chemotherapy, we kill some cancer cells. But we usually kill some normal growing cells as well, such as our white blood cells and the cells lining our gut and skin. This is where our mysterious mistletoe might help us. There is some evidence that mistletoe can boost our white blood cells and immune system. This can reduce some of the side effects of chemotherapy and cancer patients feel better generally. A review of mistletoe treatments published in the Cochrane Database Systems Review in 2007 found that mistletoe had a weak benefit on improving life in breast cancer patients. Some of the trials of mistletoe so far have been badly designed, so it's hard to say one way or another if it's doing any good. It remains a bit of a dark horse. There are some trials which have shown that immune-boosting effects of mistletoe might help slow progression of HIV and hepatitis C when given in conjunction with normal antiviral therapies. When it comes to some of the side effects, our boy turns a little bad again. If you were to pick some unprocessed mistletoe and eat it, you could poison yourself. Mistletoes can make you vomit, give you diarrhea and stomach pain, and they can also make your blood pressure drop. Some of these side effects can still be experienced in the injectable preparations. In addition, mistletoe can cause miscarriages in pregnant women. So what is the final verdict on our famous vampire plant? Is it a tree-killing toxic pest or a misunderstood moocher waiting to reveal its true colours? How good will this kiss be?
And that was Patrick Ruby, Christmas 2008. Merry Christmas, Patrick. And continuing our space theme, we're NASA and we know it. Winner EDL, time for seven minutes of flame and hell. Rivers touching down, everybody pass peanuts around. Yeah, we have mission control. Getting full use out of every soul. What? Just 25 feet left to go. It's curiosity, look out below, yo. Try and lower that rover. Try and lower that rover. Try and lower that rover. Nanette and the bug cow. Try and lower that rover. Try and lower that rover. Try and lower that rover. Nanette and the bug cow. Kicking at my console. This is what I see. Okay. Data streaming back from curiosity. I got stars on my hawk and I ain't afraid to show it. Show it, show it, show it. We're NASA and we know it. NASA and we know it. Yo, when I look for ice, gotta calibrate, gotta be precise. And when I raise the mass, panoramic views are unsurpassed. This is how I rove, baking red rocks in my nuclear stove. We headed to the peak with my laser eye. No one to bury me when it's time to die. Try and lower that rover. Try and lower that rover. Try and lower that rover. Nanette and the bug cow. Try and lower that rover. Try and lower that rover. Try and lower that rover. Nanette and the bug cow. Shout out to Carl the Sage and Neil the Grassy. Shout out to JPL and the Rocker Bogey. We're better than SpaceX and we ain't afraid to show it. Show it, show it, show it. We're NASA and we know it. We're NASA and we know it. Both the video from NASA Johnson Style and We're NASA and We Know It will be on the Diffusion episode page. Next up is Patrick Ruby from 2010 on how Santa could lift his game and be a better role model. Santa. The British Medical Journal published a tongue-in-cheek article on some of the problems with having Santa as a role model for our health. The article was written by Nathan Grills and Brendan Halliday. Here are four facts that we should consider. Fact 1. Santa is obese. There is an association between countries that venerate Santa Claus and childhood obesity. And while there is no proven link of causality yet, there is a temporal pathway whereby Santa promotes a message that obesity is synonymous with cheerfulness and joviality, according to Grills and Halliday. The article suggests that we should create a supportive environment for Santa's dieting, including ceasing the tradition of leaving Santa cookies mince pies, milk, or brandy. This is not just going to improve Santa's health, it will also improve Dad's health, as Dad often feels obliged to help Santa out by finishing off any leftovers Santa didn't get around to eating. What do you think about this advice, Ian? Do you reckon it's better for us to have a happier, slimmer, trimmer Santa? Well, there's two ways to look at this. I mean, one is that this is an actual role model for fat people. And it's a positive portrayal of fat people in the media, and you could be taking that away from them. 
I suppose that's true. Didn't really think about it. Thinking about it from the health perspective, um, I suppose the aim of of the people that wrote this article is just to just to try and help avoid any health problems. Would you think people are really trying to be like Santa? Like they only can be jolly if they're fat, or are they trying to just benefit from Santa's jolliness? One of the other suggestions is that Santa should share the carrots that are left out for Rudolph and the rest of the reindeer instead of having the mince pies and the milk and the brandy. Carrot pies? Carrot pies, perhaps. And that Santa should also give up the sleigh and use a push bike or do some jogging or walking to deliver the presents instead. He'd never do it in time. I know. Maybe he could have a sleigh to get around from country to country, but when he's actually got to... Each individual street, he gets off and walks. I wonder if that would work. (laughs) Or maybe he should be pulling the sleigh and the reindeer should be just resting inside. (laughs) Fact number two. Santa is a drink driver. If every house left out a glass of sherry or brandy for Santa, he would be over the legal alcohol limit very quickly. One concerned mother, according to the article written by Grills and Halliday, One concerned mother didn't want to leave any alcohol out for Santa because she was concerned it would encourage drink driving in her children, but was later reassured by someone else not to worry because technically Rudolph and the other reindeer are the ones pulling the sleigh, and Santa doesn't have much to do with it. However, Santa also indulges in other dangerous activities, such as roof surfing and chimney jumping, and is never seen to wear a seatbelt when driving his sleigh. So it could be a poor role model. I think a seatbelt is necessary. You think so? You think we should have Christmas cards with Santa wearing a seatbelt in his sleigh? I think if we're happy enough to update Santa with sunglasses, as is a common (laughs) thing in pictures now of Santa Claus, and other modern things, why not? Are the sunglasses to protect his eyes from the sun, or are they just meant to make Santa look a bit more cool? I suppose that's the question. Well, either way, as a role model, <laughs> <laughs> it would be good to see some seatbelts creeping. Click in clack, front and back. Okay, fact number three: Santa advertises unhealthy practices. Okay, now Santa as an icon is exported to several countries around the world and advertises many products. The Santa we know today was largely invented by Coca-Cola in the 1930s and is still used to advertise Coke. Santa used to be used to advertise cigarettes as well, but this has subsequently been banned from use. But according to the article by Grills and Halliday, the image of the jolly pipe-smoking bringer of good tidings is still firmly entrenched in our imagination. Santa can still be found on some Christmas cards smoking cigars. And Grill argues you can just imagine a cheeky 12-year-old arguing, Oh, Mum, how can smoking be bad? Santa smokes and he must be at least 99 and hasn't died of lung cancer yet. Now, I'm not so sure a 12-year-old would be arguing that, but fair enough. So he's smoking, he's drinking, and he does coke. Yes, and he, he <laughs> drink dry. <laughs> he drink dry. No wonder he he's flying. Dry. I know. Fact number four. Here we go. The biggest one. Santa is a harbinger of disease. No notifications of disease outbreaks have been associated yet with kissing Santa. 
However, there have been numerous foodborne viral and salmonella outbreaks associated with Christmas parties. As of yet, Santa has not been a suspect in these cases. Santa gets coughed or sneezed on up to 10 times a day, having children sitting on his lap, according to Grills and Halliday. If he were to contract H1N1 influenza on one such occasion and then deliver it around the world, the consequences would be devastating. Contract tracing would be near impossible. In Australia, there are as of yet no health checks on Santas, so no tests for resistant strains of Staphylococcus aureus and other such bacteria are done, and no alcohol swabs are offered to Santas who get repeatedly kissed at children's parties. Santa as well does not travel via designated airports, ports and ground crossings and so contravenes international health regulations and quarantines. Who knows what's in his beard after all those kids who often <laughs> sneezed over there. <laughs> they but would. I wonder, should they be exchanging their woolen gloves for rubber gloves? Or <laughs> a little hand sanitizer. Grills and Halliday have concluded that Santa needs to affect population health by only 0.1% to endanger millions of lives, and a radical change to his image is required. Based on his history of, of being obese, being a drink driver, being an advertiser of unhealthy products, and a potential carrier of disease. There you go. A tongue-in-cheek look at the problems with Santa's health. It's 2012 and the world didn't end. You can send email to diffusion at 2SER.com. That's diffusion at 2SER.com. And tell us your thoughts, feelings and stories. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And contributing from 2008 to this edition was Patrick Ruby and Mark West. Merry Christmas, guys. I produce Diffusion in the studios of 2SER in Sydney. And Diffusion is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice in 2013 for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Looking at the URL, the first thing that sticks out is the colon. And how about a slashing or cutting sound for the slashes? To complete the experience, we might throw in the HTTP and maybe some kind of download sound. www.diffusionradio.com Lachlan Watmore on guitar. Yeah. <laughs>